Welcome into Tailgate. Oscar Gale here with Mike Renner. We're also going to have Seth Galena, PFF analyst, join the show later in the show. But all on today's podcast, we are going to go over the college football awards and update on those now at week nine in college football. Also going to look at our 2022 NFL draft prospect risers and fallers. And then at the back end of the show, an interview with UConn defensive tackle Travis Jones and Louisiana offensive tackle Max Mitchell. Let's get it. No other place to start this podcast, Mike, than the infamous monkey stripper Halloween Texas special teams coach story. It's, it's taking over America, really, this story, and with good reason. Because 100%. not every day do you have a stripper's monkey bite a little boy, and not every day is that stripper married to... Former stripper? I'm not sure. I haven't actually pinned down the details on this. Married to a football coach for the University of Texas Longhorns. I think once a stripper, always a stripper is kind of my take. Is that like uh, the you never yeah, drop sex it. With the horse? I don't think it's a retiring situation. Thing? Okay, yeah. But to to update on those who don't haven't followed the story as obviously as closely as we have, Texas coach or Texas special teams coach Jeff Banks is in a relationship with. Potentially married to, I don't know if that detail is confirmed, to Pole Assassin. Yeah, I'll say it again. Pole Assassin. This is the stripper's either performing name or an accolade she acquired in her performing career. Her name is Daniel Thomas. Maybe Daniel Banks if they are married. They invited adults and children to their home, not for a stripper club party, but they had a haunted house and a maze. They invited them over for Halloween. It sounded like an absolute treat. In that event... A kid seemingly put his hand in the cage of the strippers or pole assassin, excuse me, pole assassin's compadre performing buddy, a monkey. Mm-hmm. We do, do we know the monkey's name? Pole assassin no, junior? No, that hasn't been released yet. I okay. It's coming. Pole assassin junior is what we're going to call on the show. Then the monkey, pole assassin junior, PAJ, bites the monkey, the child's hand. And now. Both Jeff Thomas, the special teams coach for Texas, and Pole Assassin are under a lot of scrutiny, so much that Pole Assassin deletes her Twitter. Uh, this seems to me, just reading the tea leaves here, this seems like Harambe 2.0. This seems like the kid's fault. This seems like she was doing a nice thing, having people over to her place, and the kid went in a spot he wasn't supposed to be. You want to read the tweets that she sent out before she ended up deleting her Twitter? Yes, absolutely. So this is from Pole Assassin before the Twitter deletion. I had a haunted house on one side gated off. He had no permission to go past the gate, and I had no idea he went into my backyard. Neither did I know anything about a bite until a doctor of neighborhood, which I believe that is the first time I've ever seen that phrasing, until a doctor of neighborhood told me the treat a small bite. No parent have contacted me about it. Pull assassin. Few not there. Few not perfect grammar there, yeah. but it's fine. Luke Johnston, who is the hero of this story, in my opinion, and we might have to get him on the podcast, goes for a perfectly well-executed troll tweet. Is the monkey vaccinated? Question mark. Could be serious. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. She takes it more seriously. Pull assassin reads or texts. Yes, she had all her shot. She emotional support animal who not be touched. She speak by command of high five. Same. No one is allowed to touch her unless I unless I myself say it okay it. I think you are 100% right that the 
Person to blame here is not Paul Assassin, not Paul Assassin Jr., not Jeff Thomas. It is the child who stuck <laughs> his finger in this cage. Maybe not even the child, the parents of the child. Fair. Letting him wander off in a haunted house of all places at a stranger's house. So that one, to me, I don't think, I don't think it did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Paul Assassin nor Jeff Banks. And another added detail, next door which I think is a social media app for people who live close to each other. Yeah, I have never heard of app. it. It's yeah. So Daniel Banks, it's Halloween. Cool. Hey, neighbors, I built a haunted house slash maze at my house. I'm welcoming all kids from 7 to 9.30 and then adults from 7 to 11. It was even an abbreviated kid party knowing that they had yeah. probably get to school the next day. I mean, she seems really considerate in all of this. I'm, in my opinion, not going to blame the monkey. I'm not going to blame Paul Assassin. Jeff Thomas, I feel like should be free of blame as well. If anything, this is Harambe 2.0. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm glad we were able to discover that or get on that. The next thing we have is not necessarily all that similar, but Odell Beckham Jr., the saga that is his Cleveland tenure is getting <laughs> wild. Wild. So this is incredible for me. Adam Schefter tweeted this non-sarcastically that Odell Beckham Jr.'s father – posted a video showing Baker Mayfield not passing the football to his son. That caption for me reads like something you'd see for Pop Warner or like your kid barely making the team. The fact that this has gotten every, to this point this is, is absurd. Every high school dad in America is what it <laughs> sounds like. But I did, Yeah, I don't know. This is the first time, too, I feel that I've seen OBJ's dad in the news. Right. I mean, I yeah, I, I didn't not. know. I obviously knew there was a senior if there's a junior, but he has not been making too many notable appearances until obviously this video. Yeah, I believe he goes by OBS. Uh, he would go by. <laughs> um, but uh, he's coming off a one catch six yard performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, from his comments in the past, Odell Beckham has literally said he's not happy unless he is contributing two wins on a football field, unless he is getting his stats. He has said that. In interviews prior, there was the Justine Anderson interview. So obviously, he's not going to be happy when he has 232 yards now total on 17 catches on the season. Now, the video, a little suspect. I mean, anytime just because a guy has some space around him doesn't necessarily mean he's open. And there were, I did watch the whole video just out of pure curiosity. And I'd say about half of them were valid points of gripe. Uh, and obviously, we've lampooned. Uh, Baker Mayfield on this podcast a number of times over the course of the season for his poor play. So no real surprise there, but the whole situation is not surprising to me because this was the writing on the wall. I had said it. I've been repeating it over and over the, the whatever between Baker Mayfield, Noda Beckham never worked. It mm-hmm. never worked. I like it. Wide receiver and quarterback is a symbiotic relationship. It is a trust-based relationship and Whatever that is, whatever that connection is, has never been there from day one. It has never worked out. And so to see it end possibly like this, we're recording this on Tuesday, obviously before the trade deadline. We don't know what's going to ultimately happen, but seeing it get to this point is not a surprise. Here's my take, and I think I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this. But I'm going to add to this conversation that LeBron James tweeted out an hour ago. OBJ will show again why he's special. Wide receiver one, hashtag free OBJ. Obviously, everyone on OBJ's side in this one, he's obviously not happy. I think we saw another reporter say the relationship between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. is not good, unsalvageable, etc. Does this remind you of anything? The same situation with the New York Giants and Eli Manning. Yeah. Like, this reminds me of my dad's divorces. You know, my dad gets divorced two or three times, and every single time it's their fault. I don't know if that's the case. It's not, it can't always be that you're running into, 
you know, yeah. unsalvageable relationships on their end. This is a two, it takes two to tango here. I think there is some fault for OBJ. And I'm not saying he's like abstaining from any fault here, but like this isn't a free OBJ situation. This is a very good Browns football team that has done a lot to build around Baker Mayfield, add Kevin Stefanski, a very good defense. I think we'll be saying free OBJ regardless of the QB pairing at this point. I don't feel that there is an obvious landing spot. Do you? No, and that's it's more like who would want him at this point. It's like what teams, even throughout the NFL, would be willing to take on Odell Beckham at this point after, like you said, it, this happening, two separate occasions. And I, I, I'm not sure how many there would be. I mean, maybe the Chiefs, maybe the Pats. Because the Pats obviously have a history of stuff like that, but that's about all I can Sorry. Um, we were talking – this is part of the Catch and Early Buzz segment. I apologize. The, we were talking before the air that the Henry Ruggs stuff. Yeah. Henry Ruggs, TMZ confirms that he was involved in a serious car accident in Las Vegas that looked, for Holy early shit. reports, very bad. I'm not going to speak to anything. It, 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 you can look it up yourself, but it is a very bad – Car accident, and uh, three minutes ago... Someone died, right? Is yeah, I, I believe that is what's being reported. Yeah. I don't want to speak to everything confirmed, but um, TMC, as of three minutes ago, Henry Ruggs involved in a serious car accident Tuesday morning in Las Vegas. Um, it, it doesn't look good. It, it looks um, it looks good. It, it does not look good. I think it's a fatal car accident. Um, that is uh, obviously concerning. I guess I'm, I'm, in my opinion, just going to re-report that news. I don't know if I can speak to anything more than that. I was going to say, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. We probably should make an addendum to this at some point yeah. when we, before we do release it. Absolutely. Um, interesting. That is interesting, terrible, awful. Um, yeah. Moving shit. off this catch and early buzz segment, we started with Monkey Stripper here, and we ended up getting into something much more serious, which is a hard change of pace. But I know another part of this podcast that we wanted to go over was the college football prospect risers and fallers 2022 NFL draft. I'm super excited on this running back room here. You got some risers on this running back room, starting with – Kenneth Walker, who is on today's show right here. Kenneth Walker, the third, um, put an absolute hurt on the number one ranked run defense in EPA per, per rush allowed in Michigan. Not in Michigan, in East Lansing, but against Michigan. And honestly, it was a stunning performance. And it's exactly, he's exactly the type of back that PFF always gets after. Guys that force missed tackles and gain yards after contact through week eight, or week nine, rather. No running back in the history of PFF charting college football, dates back to 2014, has forced more missed tackles in the first nine-week stretch or gained more yards after contact than Kenneth Walker, the best we've seen to start a season through nine weeks. He has been phenomenal, nothing short of it. Insane, man. This was a next-level performance. And just I love the way he hits the line of scrimmage. I mean, he will hit it at 100 miles an hour. One of his touchdown runs was just shot out of a cannon. And... Very translatable running style, in my opinion, to the NFL in the way he runs. In that, like I said, the, the fear at which he, or the lack of fear, the, the, the pure confidence he attacks, tight windows, rushing through the line of scrimmage is exactly what you love to see for guys projecting the next level. Averaging over five yards per contact after attempt, almost seven per after contact against Michigan. If he's not your running back, running back one right now, I, I have serious questions he has put on an absolute show this season and if he's not your front runner for the heisman either i have questions because really? yes he may not end up being that but they are undefeated 
because of him. You have a run-of-the-mill average college running back right now. They have probably three losses. Like this, I mean, is, he had all five touchdowns against yes. Michigan. Like they, they win that game because of him. Like that, those runs were not, would not. A lot of those are not getting made by again your run-of-the-mill college running back. So, wow, yeah, high Walker. praise for Kenneth Walker. He also sat down with Trevor Sikama, an analyst here at PFF, and it was a phenomenal interview. His aspirations transferring from Wake Forest after the 2020 season, where he earned an 87.1 PFF grade, but only played 284 snaps, obviously in a COVID-abbreviated season. Transfers because he didn't feel like he was being utilized as he wanted, and that offense doesn't run the football a ton, goes to Michigan State and is having a stellar year. And he put... In his notes app, I believe, I want to be in New York for the Heisen Ceremony. Buddy, through nine weeks, you are well on your way. He has been nothing short of phenomenal, as I said. Other running back on this list that you wanted to highlight as a riser, Kyron Williams, Notre Dame back, Golden Domer, who I think was RB9 for you Mm -hmm. early in the season, but has moved up board since then. Uh, Not a whole lot, Mm -hmm. but I mean, this was just a... He was very rough early on. I mean... Full games where he 2.3 yards per carry, 1.8 yards per carry, 3.5 yards per carry. Just tough sledding. And it wasn't even that much better sledding, I'll say, against North Carolina. But I think he has made, I don't want to say made changes, but he has appreciably overcome it the past two weeks where it was 138 yards against USC, his first 100-yard game of the season. And then 202 against North Carolina. And coming back after an ankle injury, and just like the Notre Dame program, we talked to anyone around it. They love this dude, the personality that he has, what he brings to the table, the leadership perspective. I think a lot of NFL evaluators are going to fall in love with that part of his game, the pass protection, all those sort of intangibles that we don't quantify in a grading system here at PFF. He is bringing to the table, so he will go, I would say, probably fairly highly compared to maybe you know pure physical talent, what he brings to the table at the running back position because he has all those other things. And in this one, like I said, hurts his ankle, gets it taped up, comes back, rips off a 91-yard run in that, I think it was the start of the fourth quarter, to really break that game wide open in a big win for Notre Dame. Kyron Williams, five foot nine, 199. And I think we've had some conversations about his size and how that shows up in the NFL. But he is averaging 3.8 yards after contact per attempt, 34 missed tackles on 143 attempts so far this season, coming off easily one of his best games of the year. I wanted to bring up another running back. He's not on your list, but we were just on the call with Maxwell and the Bednarik mm-hmm. committee. And a name that was being discussed was Tyler Algier of BYU, a guy that I know you really liked. I think last season, I think you liked him as a top 10 running back this in the preseason. He's coming off a big game against Virginia. He has been really, really box score productive. What have you seen on tape from Algier? Yeah, I mean, he's a big outside. Like, I'm not going to say he's comparable to Derrick Henry, but like the offense he operates in, he, he's like a college version of Derrick Henry in that guys just bounce off of him. And now it is concerning. The concerning thing is he's you know so physically dominant when he plays Virginia's defense like he did this past week, when he plays Utah State's defense like earlier in the season. But then we talked about it. Baylor, 2.2 yards per carry, 33 yards on 15 carries. Uh, Arizona State, 69 yards on 21 carries. The better defenses he's faced, gotten him bottled up, and he is more of a one-cut, one-speed type of runner. He's not making you miss. So... Kind of a one-trick pony. That's more of a later-round guy in our eyes at that point. Still, I think with him, very productive college back. Yeah. You know, he's that, that classic college back that um, can have a lot of success, but maybe when translating to the NFL, you're looking for more you mm-hmm. know, athleticism, agility, etc. Another guy on your list that I think is a riser from already a high spot, Nicobe Dean, the Georgia linebacker who is 
horse, man. 91.8 PFF grade this past week against Florida. Had one pressure. Wait, had the, what, the pick six? He was phenomenal in this game. He continues to look like that next guy at the linebacker position. Yeah, he's he's been insane this year. Like I, He's exceeded even my expectations, and he was our linebacker one heading into the year. So... I've been incredibly impressed with him, and especially in coverage. Like he's done a lot more diverse things. Like he's the pick six came from a wide corner alignment, so, and obviously it's man coverage, and they split out. I believe it was the running back out there. Try to throw him a hitch, and Dean keys three step and, and picks off a hitch and takes it back the other way. That is like special stuff that you just don't see linebackers having that level of confidence. The breakup on fourth down that should have been another pick that he could have picked off, hit his hands, was another route that's just like special coverage skills and what he can do from a blitzing perspective 90.9 pass rushing grade this season he is your modern linebacker even if he's not you know 6-4 with a big wingspan more in the Devin Bush Devin White mold of linebacker but this guy's going in the first round ooh I didn't I didn't, I didn't want to give it away but this guy's going in the first round oh uh oh the first round lock list little teaser yeah. George Karloftis next on your list here the Purdue edge defender you know one of the top freaks list members on Bruce Melvin's freaks list also someone everyone loves on that same committee we spoke to the Bednarik committee Phil Steele a big fan of George Karloftis him coming off the highest pass single game pass rushing grade eight total pressures against Nebraska yeah, this was just another in the long list of every single game. It seems like Karloftis is just stuffing stat sheets, stuffing the grading system. Actually, the last one didn't make sense. I don't know how you stuff the grading system. I'll, but I'll show you. Eight pressures <laughs> in this game, consistently setting a hard edge there against Nebraska. Now Nebraska's deep offensive line, whatever. But my God, like Karloftis, I already put him on the first round lock list last week. And is only getting better, only improved as this season has gone along. And for him to play as many snaps as he does, you feel really confident about that guy translating to the NFL. Another edge defender, Myjay Sanders, the Cincinnati edge, who we had really high expectations for entering the mm -hmm. season. In 2020, he had a 90.1 PFF pass rushing grade with 44 total pressures. Also one of the highest pass rush win rates on true pass sets. This past week against Tulane, 91.7 PFF pass rushing grade, four total pressures, three sacks. He was phenomenal. And I, I continue to think that He's a player that I do think gets better in the NFL. Six foot five, yes. two fifty-five. He is continuing to develop at this position. A very young player too. I like Myj Sanders a lot. Huge to see him grading really well down the stretch. Yeah, he had a very quiet first six or so games, and not even just from a grading perspective. He didn't have a sack until this past week. He only had six run stops through the first six games this season. Like he was legitimately not as impactful as he was even in 2020, but this past week against Tulane, three sacks, two more run stops, a forced fumble. He was everywhere and, and really played a more physical game than we've seen from him in the past. Kind of, you get to that senior year and everyone's in your year talking about the draft. It's very easy to be wary of like getting hurt, you know, protecting yourself, maybe not going full bore and uh, it, uh, on certain plays and really craving that contact. And I thought you saw a different guy in this two-lane game than we had seen in games past. Before we get on to the fallers here, I want to shout out the Tailgate Podcast promo code. You can go to pff.com right now, use promo code TAILGATE to save 25% off any PFF subscription. If you are looking to support Mike directly, his family directly, go to pff.com, use promo code TAILGATE, 25% off 
any PFF subscription. That gets you his draft guide. That gets you all the draft information that we're going to be writing over the offseason. Also, fantasy football, betting, all that stuff. Anything football, really, go to PFF.com, subscribe, promo code TAILGATE. Fallers here. Drake London, by no fault of his own, is falling. But the injury will affect, obviously affect, his draft status. He has... I think a confirmed broken ankle, yes, which is more positive than ligament damage. I think we said that as soon as um, you know, yeah. as soon as he got hurt, seeing that the air cast was immediately out, I think that was a huge positive for me. Not a huge positive, but silver lining on what is an absolute hurricane for Drake London, but um, a faller nonetheless. Yes, uh, an, an injury that does not have kind of the long term ramifications or possible sort of or the worrisome recovery of, like you said, ligament damage or whether it was like a full broken leg, tib-fib, something like that. London, just no, just a broken ankle. But a broken ankle is still, I mean, it's going to hamper your draft stock when you're not going to go through the pre-draft process. We already questioned his speed. He's not going to be able to run a 40, most likely, uh, prior to the draft. Or even if he does, it's not going to be his best because he's not going to have a full lead-up in terms of training and whatnot into it. So that's obviously going to hurt him, and it's also going to hurt him in that there is a number of wide receivers. We've talked about it. Like the list is all over the map where how people stack up this class is going to be all over the map. And I do think it's not going to hurt him necessarily too much because if you are evaluating this wide receiver class, he is kind of stands alone in his skill set and that there's not a competing guy like him. Traylon Burks is a big wide receiver, but a vastly different type of big wide receiver. Drake London is your possession, yak, that sort of guy. Mm-hmm. Red zone. That's him. He's the best at it in the draft class. There's no debate in that. And this ankle injury is not going to all of a sudden change that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no other guy where I'm like, oh, they're kind of close, so let me go the other guy now. No, if you want that guy in your offense, that's what you're looking for. You're still probably going to draft Drake London, wherever that is. The, the unfortunate stuff, too, and I keep bringing up this call that we have with me because we are starting talking college football awards, is everyone on that call is like, man. He was the obvious favorite to win the Fred Belitnikoff Award yes. this year, and now going to be difficult to do so. And like we were having the conversation, it's like there's no other receiver we want to put on this Maxwell list. It's like Drake London was it, and then obviously you could have a conversation between the Ohio State guys, Wilson Olave. You know, David Bell was in the conversation. Um, you know, Jalen Tolbert of South Alabama. Like at that point, it's like, okay, are we forcing a wide receiver in after Drake London because he's hurt? It's definitely an unfortunate situation. He was well on his way to earning that um, you know Fred Belitnikoff Award. An unfortunate injury for Drake London. Definitely, um, you know, prayers up for him to get healthy soon. Next faller here, your guy. Oof. Friend of the show. Both these guys are fallers and friends of the show. Yeah. Damn it. Tanner McKee, Stanford, on the fallers list. Yeah. Going up against the Washington secondary, that's very good. And that was basically what it is. The first game where it really seemed like the kind of first dud on Tanner McKee's schedule. And why I've said there's more than likely a chance that while we love the skill set, while we love the talent, this guy's coming back in 2022 yeah. oh, 100%. to Stanford just because he's not going to be able to put enough, up enough good tape, one, in that offense, two, with the talent around him. And, yeah, he didn't have many windows, but it also went south on him in a hurry in that game. No touchdown passes, two picks, 21 of 32 for 194 against Washington. So Tanner McKee. Good news for Stanford fans. He's going to be there in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get to Watch Wednesdays, that's our bust watch, our other bust watch, whiff watch, breakout watch, all that stuff, the first-round lock segment, etc. And, of course, the interviews with Seth Galina, Max Mitchell, and Travis Jones. DraftKings, NFL fans hungry for a big win. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. In Sportsbook, if sports. 
Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Watch Wednesdays. Here we go. Bust watch. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We didn't like this pick when it happened. No one did. No one did, to be <laughs> fair. Titus Howard of the Houston Texans, officially on bust watch. He was the, the quintessential, I like this guy, but holy shit, I don't like him that much when he got drafted 23rd. I think he was, he was a, like 50th overall on the PFF draft board in 2019 when he mm-hmm. came up. And I'm like, oh, you know. Had a good senior bowl. He goes in the second round somewhere. It's a nice developmental tackle. Out of Alabama State. Alabama State. Well, it was actually a better tackle than he was at guard, but they still moved him inside to guard. Left guard this year. It's been a disaster. 38.7 overall grade. He is the lowest graded tackle in the NFL. Already given up 16 pressures. Excuse me, lowest graded guard in the NFL. Already given up 16 pressures, averaging two pressures a game. It's been ugly. And that's it's for your 23rd your first-round pick, and you haven't had a lot of first-round picks from the Houston Texans. And for that guy to be one of the worst guards in the NFL, not even a tackle anymore, one of the worst guards, is not good. Is why the Texans are the Texans. Yeah, I mean, just one of the reasons. 38.7 overall grade, a 39.4 run-blocking grade, and he has one game above 60 this year. It's been consistently bad. Not up and down play based on competition. It has been consistently bad for Titus Howard, the former Alabama State first rounder. That is concerning. I don't know if Titus Howard will be starting much more. I think it's not even bust watch too. We've included some second year guys on this list. Mm-hmm. He was a 2019 first rounder. Yeah, has seven, he has 1,800 snaps in his career. Has never earned a PFF grade above 62.1 in any single season. And this his third season, you know, where we talk about offensive line play, maybe getting to that third year and developing, has been the worst start of any season he's had this year in his career yeah. in terms of PFF grade. So some concern there, some bust watch there for Titus Howard, the Houston Texans guard. Bust watch, you can guess what type of bust this is. What? J.J. Watt, Arizona Cardinals. He will miss the end of the, or the rest of the season with an injury, but man, I don't care if he never, never plays another down. He is on official Hall of Fame bust watch. Yeah. This one was, I mean, after 2015, you probably could have put him in. I just wanted to give him his due because that might be it, honestly. This is his, like, fourth, maybe catastrophic-ish, like, very bad injury. He obviously had uh, knees, had shoulder issues before. This one was, like, a complete blowout of his shoulder, biceps, tendon, whatever. It all tore up there. So he's going to be 33 in February. That's, I mean, he was still playing at a high level this year, 83.1 pass rushing grade at that age. But I don't know how much longer a guy like that will want to play when obviously his body is just getting torn to shreds, unfortunately. But he was still, in my opinion, the best defense player I've seen since Reggie White at defensive lineman, I'll say, since Reggie White. I think he's at his peak. As peak it was better than Aaron Donald. The peak did not last long because, again, 2016, 2017, he played fewer than 400 snaps total between those years due to injury. But, man, back in 2014, he had 65 quarterback hits in sacks combined. 
that was over twice as many as the next closest player in the NFL. And it's like, you can talk pressures all you want. Hits are a little different. Like actually getting to a quarterback and bring him to the ground is a little different animal than just putting a guard in a quarterback's lap. And J.J. Watt did it twice as many times as anyone else. Still far and away the PFF record for that in a single season. He was an animal back in the day. Sadly, all too short-lived. Yeah, I mean, it was... I wouldn't say it's as short of a peak. You know, there's a lot of conversation in terms of Hall of Fame between, like, Frank Gore and Jamal Charles. And Jamal Charles had this, like, was excellent yeah. for this smaller stretch. But his stretch was even smaller than what J.J. Watts was. Like, J.J. Watt was dominant for, like, five years, three to four, five years. And said Jamal Charles had, like, kind of more of a two- to three-year burn. But J.J. Watt, an obvious Hall of Famer. Next on our list here, with Watch. I loved him coming out, too, man. I thought he was going to be a monster and he's still only 26 years old we'll see we'll see could develop i don't know will hernandez the former utep guard a second round pick actually drafted 34th overall by the new york giants in 2018 has played a ton of snaps too played over a thousand snaps both his first and second seasons in the nfl just 520 and off to you know 500 plus in 2021 but has never earned a pff grade above 60.0 after his rookie season has not developed as a lot of people expected including pff well he's probably the biggest indictment of giants offensive line coaching since joe judge got there as anyone because he had his highest graded year as a rookie back in 2018 pass blocking perspective run blocking perspective and is now in the midst of his lowest graded year in year four which that's not how it almost ever works at the guard position you don't come in and look good out the gate and then end up sucking without you know too many serious injuries like it wasn't injury related going from year one to year two why he fell off he just has not developed and that's again offensive line coaching but still he's the 17th overall player on the pff draft back in 2018 i thought this guy was going to be a mauler has not lived up to that i still think change of scenery could be a starting guard somewhere competent guard but only 57.8 overall grade so far this season and an ugly one against chris jones where he gave up sack a hit and two hurries on monday night yeah the the pass blocking is one thing like he had the highest pass blocking grade as a rookie and has gotten worse every single year but there has been some speculation in his rookie season they ran 61 percent zone concept since then it's been 50 percent 30 and 39 percent moving away from that zone scheme may be a factor in that as well a change of scenery he feels like a prime candidate for one to see if he can maybe get back on where people expected him but officially on whiff watch 17th overall player in 2018 a guard i know i like that guard class it was isaiah win quentin nelson him obviously we thankfully had win ahead of him who's looked very good and obviously nelson ahead of both of them but uh hernandez did not quite pan um on the breakout watch Former friend of the podcast, also in a tremendous story, a former three-star recruit for Virginia, Bryce Hall, who on the interview and in interviews past, he's talked about how he had so much self-awareness on that he was never going to be the most athletic player on the field. Yeah. And he has leveraged you know, film study, technique, these different things to be an above-average player before the injury he had in his senior season at Virginia. Now 72.9 PFF coverage grade for the New York Jets this season, playing a lot better than that fifth-round pick would ex- you, know, you would expect. Yes, Hall. We was a guy who was 50, 49th, excuse me, on the PFF draft board coming out. We loved him. He's a testament. We talked about Drake London breaking his ankle, falling down draft boards, and it not really, hopefully, sh- shouldn't be have long term effects. Bryce Hall had the same injury coming out of Virginia. Obviously, falls to the fifth round pick, 158 because of it. And he's been excellent. I mean, starts second half of last season, starter this year. He is probably your starting one of the one guy that 
in that secondary, in that cornerback group, excuse me, that you can rely on to start going forward. Obviously, you have to find another one, but he looks very good this year, averaging under one yard per coverage snap, hasn't allowed more than 71 yards in any single game this season. Perfect fit for Robert Sala's defense. And, oh, okay, I want to tell a story about Bryce Hall that we fucked up on when he was coming out. I, t- I wrote an article about, I think it was about the quarterback group's article, and the, we put a picture in, mm-hmm. the picture of Bryce Hall, was literally with his ankle like hanging, and, and I remember like oh, reading the article. Right. It was like the only that. picture we that. could find of him, and like the person didn't notice it. It was like him, uh, kind of like sitting on the ground, but like it was right after he had broken his ankle, and so his ankle's hanging. And I'm like, I remember DMing. I think it was you, Amita. I'm like, dude, change this picture. This looks awful. It's like a terrible look. I remember like that. that we had put it in the article. We just didn't notice. Uh, obviously, not looking at the guy's ankle, but it was literally immediately after. And uh, thankfully, I have the picture right here. I'm not. Yeah. La- I'm not meaning to laugh, but. Um, Everything worked out for him. So I'm in WordPress right now looking at our like media library, and it is right there. He is pointing to the sideline holding his left leg, and his ankle is legitimately snapped. <laughs> and that was and we had it as a we feature with. image. We had it as a feature <laughs> image for this article. How What a disaster that was. And we, we even have the image that we switched oh, to right after that. That is uh, not incredible, but a funny story nonetheless. Um it's like the eat your gross motto story. I don't want to retell mm, that one. Retell I don't that. want to retell that one, but it's very similar to that one. Washed watch. Danny Amendola and Adrian Peterson newly signed to the Tennessee Titans. Adrian Peterson both officially on Wash Watch. Both officially 36 years old. What spurred this was today is Danny Amendola's birthday, I believe. Mm-hmm. November 2nd, the day we're recording this. Danny Amendola's birthday. It turns 36. If you don't count Matthew Slater, he is the oldest wide receiver in the NFL. I legitimately did not know until I started looking up who the oldest players were in the NFL that Danny Amendola was still in the league. And... Do you know what team Danny Amendola plays for right now? The Lions. Nope, plays for the Houston Texans. Oh, does he really? <laughs> the fact that the Houston Texans signed a 30, soon to be 36-year-old wide receiver who has now 63 yards on the season never ceases to you amaze can't me what they're doing. Underestimate down there, but... the veteran presence that he brings to that sideline, though, and the culture that they're building in Houston. But it's safe to say Danny Amendola's best days are behind them. Why? Why? Good on him for getting a paycheck, but my God, Houston, what the fuck are we doing down there? No one knows. No one knows. And then Adrian Peterson gets shout out for getting signed. He, I love the tweet from CBS Sports saying, oh, Adrian Peterson doesn't have big plays in him. This was less than three years ago, the tweet. Oh <laughs> and then it showed a run from like, what was it, 2019 that he had a long run. It was just like, dude. Less than three years ago for a guy who's 36 years old, as I can attest at 31, three years ago I would moved a lot differently than I do now. And when you talk about you know, getting shit on for getting signed, it's not on Adrian Peterson. It's on the Tennessee Titans yes. think they can you know, hit the tread on this guy. Yeah. it's All right. Last one here. Everyone, hit... everyone gets old. It sucks, but yeah. everyone does. We're not burning you for that. You should put that on a social graphic. Social, everyone gets old, I think could yeah. be really helpful news for everyone today. Last one here, and you kind of already hinted at it. First round lock segment. You are adding who? It's a Kobe Dean, Georgia linebacker. And I going out maybe on a limb here because... Linebacker. Linebacker. They don't go in the first round every year. And he is not your... He doesn't look like Isaiah Simmons. Everyone could have told you Isaiah Simmons went in the first round. It didn't really matter how well he played his last year. He's 6'4", 240, and runs a 4'3". And Kobe Dean's 6'2", 225. Not your run-of-the-mill specimen, but no one plays faster at a linebacker position in college football. He has no one has graded better at the linebacker position in college football this year. Ninety one point nine overall grade. Not a single 
bad game. Not a single below average game grade on the season, which at the linebacker position in college football in this day and age is a damn near impossible thing to do because they are under attack. But that just shows you how quick this guy is seeing the game of football. So many plays week after week on his tape where it's just he is so quick to read that this guy is going to be a first rounder. Like I said, he's a first round lock segment. So. Love it. Love it. How many you have now there? Can you give us an update? We got 11. So the update goes, Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley, Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, DeMarvin Leal, Tyler Lindebaum, Garrett Wilson, Iki Aquanu, George Karloftis, and Kobe Dean. Wow. Heavy on the defense. What do we got? Only th- three def- three offensive guys on that? I love that there are no QBs. There are no, no QBs. QBs that I am locking if you in. Had to, don't, don't lock them in. But if you had to put one in right now, would you, who would it be? If you had a gun to your head, quarterback has to go on this list. Oof. Corral. Corral. I put Corral. Nice. Just because, Corral got a big game this week. Yeah. Well, Malik's got the bigger game. Yeah, I, guess. Up I mean, Malik. it's going to be yeah. a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> Could be fun to watch, actually. Uh, all right. Let's uh, jump off this now. Before we get to the Seth Galina interview, then we have interviews with Max Mitchell and Travis Jones, Western and Southern, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you put ahead Put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear more about Chris's old playing days? Behind the scenes on Al with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, let's bring Seth Galina on to the mix. To clarify from earlier, before we bring Seth Galina on, I know we mentioned the Henry Ruggs TMZ report that he was involved in a serious car crash in Las Vegas. Reports now that Metro Police confirmed Raiders player Henry Ruggs was the driver in the morning's fatal car crash and showed signs of impairment. He will be charged with a DUI resulting in death. And in uh, just an awful, I was going to say unfortunate, awful, awful circumstance for, obviously, you know, Ruggs and everyone involved in that. Definitely um, thinking of the families affected. It was an awful scene. That is rough to see. Um, and nothing more on that. All right. Seth Galina joining the show. Finally back. Is this the first time back since the Justin Herbert clip? Yes. I think it is, actually. That's a great call. What are you guys talking about? Who remembers about? that? <laughs> I, I, I feel like not enough, not, tail, uh, formerly two for one drafts, doesn't get enough credit for that viral clip. Because you were on, and it was one of the first times we met you, too. <laughs> we met you in Mobile, and we're talking about that quarterback class. And then you drop, obviously, the infamous take that he can't play, and then the rest is history. The rest is history. and um, <laughs> It's actually not. It's present. It's actually omnipresent. I, and probably I, for the next 15 or so years will be present. <laughs> so I wrote an article last year about how the Patriots just kind of disguised their coverages against Justin Herbert last year when they played them. So I was looking for it because they just had Chargers just played the Patriots mm-hmm. last week. So I was looking for that article. And, of course, like you know, like an idiot, I Googled Seth Galina Justin Herbert. And that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I uh, had to go to bed early that night. I slept a long time just to, like, you know, let yeah. it wash off me. Yeah, it wasn't. I good. mean, the official Chargers social media account has called you out like twice. I mean, it has been <laughs> not great. And I keep giving them my Venmo, uh, hoping that they would give me some reparations. That, but that's it's not super happening. fair, honestly. Defame, defamation, or whatever defamation, whatever that is. <laughs> defamation. <But laughs> <laughs> you only read that word. <laughs> that was tough. That was tough. Let's uh, definitely get off the Justin Herbert topic. Yeah. I know 
Mike, you wanted to talk to Seth a lot about the college football awards. Um, Mike and I were just on the committee. You weren't invited, so but we'll we'll include you. <laughs> Seth in had better things to do. Uh, <laughs> which I, well, <laughs> let's get some conversation around the college football awards, and then I actually wrote down a handful of questions too that I want to throw your way. I know we were talking a little bit last night, but let's start with the college football awards. Mike, did you want to give your take and then hear Seth's opinion, or how'd you want this? Let's give like who we think is going to win these, or who right. we think should win these gotcha. at this point in time. Obviously. Well, we could just do the big dogs. Mm-hmm. We could do the Maxwell, the Bednarik, because that's where we're we're all on the committee for that. Technically, even though you didn't show up to the meeting, we all we all were on the selection committee uh, for that over the weekend. So, thoughts on the Maxwell Award? Do we have the the full list of guys that we ended up picking in I front of us here? Don't have them in front. He of actually me. never shared the list with us. He never shared the list during with the us. call, but. He was looking for Seth is why. Who yeah. do we think should be the finalists for the Maxwell Award? Three finalists. We obviously named a list of 15 mm-hmm. semifinalists over the weekend. But who do you think should be the finalists for the Maxwell Award at this point in time, which would be the best players in college football? Usually that one's more offensively focused. But you can. I think there's been defensive players that have been at least involved in it in the past. So you want right now who will my finalists yes. be? I, I do think I need Stroud in there. And I know you're You've a big You've been CJ banging Stroud. the Stroud table. I've been banging the Stroud but it's, table. Okay, here's the thing about Stroud. He has the best, the best surrounding cast, sporting cast yeah. in America. And it's not even close. And it's like, yeah, he's been good. But that's the best supporting cast in America. And, and he also, I don't want to say lost the Oregon game, but like was a big factor in them losing 100%. the one loss they had this year. Okay. So that, that's like hard See, for me to really like I have put. to push back against that because I, they scored a bunch of points in that game. It was his fourth ever start. Yeah. And the defense was was as bad as we've seen an Ohio State defense be in in a few years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, since the Indiana game last year, at least. So I don't want to put that all on C.J. Stroud. The defense should have just made a play once in a while. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Once in a while, the defense got to make a play. That defensive performance was horrendous. Horrendous. So, like, let's not put it all on CJ Stroud, who made a bunch of big throws, and he's been so much better since that game as well. So, I'm, yeah, and yeah, like you said, I am a big CJ Stroud fan. I think Stroud should be, I would pick Stroud. I would pick Kenneth Walker, the Michigan State running back. He's mm-hmm. right there. And I'd also pick one of, and I don't know who I think I would lean Bryce Young, but I'd pick one of Bryce Young or Matt Corral. Those would be my three finalists right now. I like Kenneth Walker, and I'm kind of hoping Kenneth Walker wins the Heisman, to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. because I think we need we need a running back to win. We need, we can't have this quarterback award. I know the receiver won it last yeah. year. It would be nice to see a running back who's grinded his way, had some re- obviously some huge runs against Michigan in the rivalry game. I don't know how the season's going to end for Michigan State, but hopefully he gets some good opportunities to, to get in the end zone and pad his stats because he's been – I'm not saying he's the best player in college football, but I think – Michigan State's been a great story. Mm-hmm. He's been a great he story, a great story yeah. himself, yeah. you know, transferring from Wake Forest, and, and he's been really good. So I'm hoping. He had, he had plenty of opportunities to find the end zone against Michigan, all five touchdowns in that game. Who are your finalists, Mike? I, Kenneth Walker would be my winner right now. Wow. And obviously a finalist. I would also throw Kenny Pickett firmly into the finalist conversation. I just think he's been excellent. The losses, they've, as much as. We said, you know, C.J. Stroud, a lot of the losses on Ohio State's defense. Pittsburgh's losses were 100% on their defense so far this season. So he has been excellent week in and week out. The last one is probably the biggest. The three, Those two I'd feel the most confident in putting in the mix. The third guy is really up for grabs at this point. So I would probably lean Bryce Young. It's been a little bit more consistent, I'd say, than C.J. Stroud. But yeah. that one's a tough Sort of. The number three on that list is uh, to me it's one and two, and then number three is a far uh, is a ways down on the list. Matt Curl's out now after last week. Can he can he rebuild his image? Well, with the a, injury with the injury is just tough to like 
put him in there as well. Seth, you've been on the College Football Live show that airs on Fridays at 11 a.m. talking a little bit about how Alabama is vulnerable, but you've been focusing more on the defense side of the ball. Is any of that Bryce Young? No, well, vulnerable. I mean, look, he's only going to be making, you know, once they get into these big, bigger games. Uh, unfortunately, LSU is not a big game anymore this weekend, but they have the Iron Bowl coming up in a few weeks, and then they'll have, you would assume, the SEC championship game, though. I think Auburn can win the Iron Bowl this year. Oh my gosh! Can you imagine? So, are you big on Bo Nix or what is it? I'm 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 big on a Bo Nix game every five weeks, mm-hmm. and maybe and then I think the timing is right for he just so he's going to beat Ole Miss this week. They might lose a couple of games. I'm sorry, he beat Ole Miss last week. They might lose a couple of games. I think they're four and a half point dogs Texas A&M this week. I don't know. I think they might lose. What's I'm saying? They might lose yeah, the yeah. Texas A&M. Interesting. Interesting. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Alabama rolls in the Iron Bowl, and I also think Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship. I think Social's putting out my college football playoff rankings that are going to get absolutely murdered on Social, but I, I do think that Alabama is that good. Um, do you want to flip to the bed, and Eric? Now, Mike. Yes. Let's get to the bed, and Eric. I actually I have the list now of the. Of all the guys, we included 18 guys in the bed, Eric. Can, we I, can I say my bed, Eric? Deep like thing before we get into who's actually playing the list. Well, it's just that it's Eric just play. that the best player over the past three years in college football has been Derek Stingley, and it's yeah. just unfortunate that we haven't been able to see him for the last two years because of injury. Yeah, and we won't see him again uh, suiting up in college. But he would have won the bed, Eric, one of these years if yeah. he was healthy. No, yes, yeah, you are not wrong about that. He was even when he was healthy this year, he really one catch like that was it in three games. So. Ben Eric, semifinalist right here. Will Anderson, Alabama, the edge. Roger McCreary, the Auburn corner. Ahmad Gardner, the Cincy corner. Jermaine Johnson, the Florida State edge. Jordan Davis, the Georgia defensive tackle. Nicobe Dean, Georgia linebacker. Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan edge. Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety. Nick Benito, Oklahoma edge. Kayvon Thibodeau, the Oregon edge. Quan Brisker, the Penn State safety. George Koloff, just the Purdue edge. Cameron Thomas, the Go Aztecs edge. San Diego State, Kingsley and Eggbar, Re, uh, South Carolina edge, DeMarvin Leal, Texas A&M edge, a lot of edges, D- Devin Lloyd, the Utah linebacker, Leo Chanel, Wisconsin linebacker, and then Chad Muma, the Wyoming linebacker. So that is your list. Who do you put as your finalist? So so my three would be N'Kobe Dean, Aiden Hutchinson, and those are the top two for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I want to add in your safety man from oh, Notre Dame, Kyle Hampton. My thing with Kyle Hampton is so my three. So mm-hmm. Kyle Hampton, what I saw that I loved and has nothing to do with his play at safety is that he's the punt gunner. Yeah. Like he gets down the field, he plays special teams. You love to see a guy with that type of future in the NFL. What did Eric say teams. last night when we were watching the Giants game? You love to see like a selfless running back. It's like a selfless, selfless star, I think is, is, is good to see. Yeah. So, and then Aiden Hutchinson's just been unblockable this whole year. There's nothing else to say about it. He was unblockable against a, a pretty good offensive line in Michigan State last week, or mm-hmm. at least they graded pretty high going into that game. Unblockable against Washington and one of the, yeah. one of the bigger name you know, NFL Kirkland. draft prospects. Yep. And then, and then number one for me is Nicobe Dean. I just love watching him play football. I don't even like whatever you want to think about value of linebackers versus edge versus pass rush. Uh, sorry, versus pass rush versus coverage, whatever. He's my favorite player to watch in college football. I think mm-hmm. uh, the way he he gets sideline to sideline like a bullet. He's unbelievable. He covers people out of the backfield. He blitzes like a madman. Um, Kirby has done a good job of just like convincing these guys to play for the Georgia Bulldogs. He yeah. convinces everyone on defense to play for each other, and you can see it on the field. My, my take is uh, I have three that are very similar, but Jordan Davis I don't even think should be in this conversation. I mean, Jordan Davis does not play enough football. He does I'm, not play enough that's snaps. That's the problem. I'm very worried that he's going to 
not only be a finalist for this, but win. But win. Because he's 6'6, 340, and every single broadcast, it's all I talk about. Because he's obviously the feature head or figurehead, excuse me, for you know an imposing defense because he is the most fucking imposing stature-wise defensive he's lineman monster. in college football. And he is. And he's very good in the run game. Single blocking him does not end well the vast majority of the time. But he has half as many pressures as Nicobe Dean does, and he plays a position where every single <laughs> pass play he's rushing the passer. So he's been on the field 190 total snaps all season long. You cannot give that guy an award for the best defensive player, for the most impactful defensive player in the country when you have played that conversation years. when we get on the committee with Bill <laughs> Steele and all those guys, if there are people banging the table for Davis will be a phenomenal one. Can't can you just make the argument that his buddy Jalen Carter deserves it more than him yeah. at this point in the season? Yeah, Jalen Carter, and, and this is not a better. I, don't, I think prospect. any of us are knocking Jordan Davis. No, no, not Because he is an incredibly fun yeah. player to watch and just he's going to be a good NFL player too. Um, but even Jalen Carter, who plays next to him and subs for awesome. him, is, has been awesome as has well. Has played more snaps also. Here's my <laughs> so favorite. it's like you got Kirby Smart there out snapping, like giving one guy more reps usually means you know that guy's the one who's impacting the game a little more. Here's but. my three, and it doesn't include Cameron Thomas of San Diego State, despite being an athlete. Well, because he's one like, above everyone else. Exactly. He's exactly. ascended yeah, to yeah. a new level. It's not even Ben Nurek yeah. Award. It's something bigger. It's something better. But I like N'Kobe Dean at one, Aiden Hutchinson at two. And my three, actually is Ahmad Gardner, Cincy. If Cincy does go into the playoff as number two, the season that he has had, not just this year, but last year, has been one of the most impressive of any cornerback in the country. They are not throwing the football at him. He plays a physical brand at that position, a unique brand at that position, a unique sauce nickname as well. It has to factor in. You know, talk about you know, when the broadcast highlights the defense, that is the guy. That is the guy. And they have Maje Sanders. And they have other talented players. I really do think that Ahmad Garner should be the number three. Does he win? Maybe not, because Georgia is going to be maybe number one in the country. And then obviously Aiden Hutchinson plays a more premium position and is having a lot of success as well. But I think he needs to be in that final three. Yeah, my final three, and I think Kayvon Thibodeau and Kyle Hamilton, if they were healthy all year, would 100% be in this final three. But I, I, I just think if you're not playing every game, I don't, I don't think you have a rightful – you just don't have as much of an argument as guys who did because you have such tight schedules, 12 games. You miss one, that's the 12th of the season. It's the 12th of the impact that you can make. So I think – Unbelievable math just happening on the podcast right now. Two of them, it's a sixth. So I can't that's going to be Kyle Hamilton and Thibodeau. <laughs> so at that point, N'Kobe Dean, Aiden Hutchinson, and then the guy I think I would give it to right now – is Ahmad Gardner. I, I think he has been the best and is so impactful to that defense and all they do, and you just watch how they scheme up that defense, it relies on the fact that no, they, they know no one can attack him. He's given up 73 yards, and they just know that that side that he is on is good mm-hmm. in that defense, and everything else works because they know that's not a matchup that offenses can go after, and they haven't. Like I said, 10 catches, 73 yards all season long is insanity. And in playing man coverage every time. It's not like yes. there's a zone where he yes. comes off, maybe we don't give him a target somewhere. He's playing man coverage on most of his snaps. Yeah. And and he's been as good as, as any player defensively, like you said, in, in the country. And he, th- he is the reason why if Cincinnati gets into the playoffs and then has some success in the playoffs, big if, but if they have success in the playoffs, it's because, like you said, he changes what offenses can do against you because they will not throw at him. Yeah. No, 100%. I'm glad you included him. I'm glad you included him as your favorite. Do you want to go over any of these? Well, I mean, other he's a big reason here? why they, you know, last year, Georgia, bowl game. Oh, he actually didn't even play that game. That's on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's cut. Let's Can we cut, cut right that? <laughs> that one needs to be cut. Um, do you want to go over any of these other awards? I was going to highlight that. Give Jordan Davis the Outland Award. 
the interior line award. Well, but then then you the Tyler Linderbaum slander. Yeah, Linderbaum's got it. He can win Remington. Right it's a center award. Okay, that's fine. This so, committee all speaks together. You don't have to give him all. Jordan Davis, don't give him the Bednarik. Don't give Jared Davis the Bednarik. Still really good player. Give him the Outland Then I keep award. saying the same thing. If you're, then if you're going to give Jordan Davis the Outland, give it to Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter. Jesus. I can't yeah, speak. Jalen Carter. Yeah. No. Just don't give him an award. He's been very good, but he'll go you know, somewhere in the first round. This is going to get don't clipped and ripped, and we are going to get buried by dogcountry.org, and we're going to get wrecked. I have no... What are you talking I, you, about? You can, you, Kirby Smart loves PFF. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Just go to our takes on N'Kobe Dean. We fucking love N'Kobe Dean. Yeah. If you want, I would have no don't argument. Don't give it to Davis. Give it to N'Kobe Dean. Exactly. Give the Heisman to N'Kobe Dean. Yeah, I would not argue too much with that either. But so, Belinikoff, I mean, as it stands right now, Drake London. By the end of the season, that's the problem. It's like he got hurt at just the awkward time where someone is probably going to eclipse him statistically, even though week in, week out, no one was a better wide receiver so far this year. So that one's tough, uh, but I guess it stands right now. Running back, no question. It's Doak Walker is going to Kenneth Walker. Should he, ooh, that made perfectly. Is he his son, maybe? Uh, makes too much yes. sense there. John yeah. Mackey. It's not. No, I think it's his son. I think it's his son. <laughs> the Mackey has to go to Trey McBride right now as it stands. The guy has over 40% of his team's receiving yards at Colorado State. Those ones, and then the interior line and Remington should both go to Tyler Lindenbaum. I don't think those ones are a debate. Linebacker, DB, again, linebacker, I don't think it's a debate either. We said Nicobe Dean. I don't think we'd debate that. DB, though, is the one where who should go, go to because he went again. Kyle Hamilton. Could be up there. McCreary, we think it's going to be Ahmad Gardner. I, I, uh, 100% is Ahmad Gardner. Uh, yeah, I think those ones we all have pretty strong agreement at this point. We're all in agreement will. coach of the year is Steve Sarkeesian as well, <laughs> I think. I mean, he had that one locked up a few weeks ago. Let's be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I think the Fred Belitnikoff is going to be really interesting. Yes. Like, you look That's at, the only one that really looks very much a production right? award. When we were in Nashville talking to the guy behind the Fred Belitnikoff award, his biggest thing is what – what have you done? He hates looking at recruiting. He hates looking at stars. He doesn't want to know what you could be. He wants to know what have you done. And like that, that will put in a Jarrett Stearns from Western Kentucky or Josh Downs from North Carolina or Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, Calvin Austin, Memphis. Like it could put in some of these small school guys that aren't at the top of the conversation. But I, I do think that David Bell is obviously in there as well. I'm interested to see who it goes. You know, Traylon Burks, James Williams. They're going to think about some of the bigger school guys. But knowing the guy who's behind that award, I would not be surprised if like Calvin Austin wins it. Like, you know, some, some guy that has not yeah. maybe been hyped up all season long. I'd Can go we- with Tolbert. Tolbert's sick. Yeah, yeah, Tolbert is sick. Stearns, also, Stearns has had like 50 catches in the last three weeks or something like that. The he's West, been the West Western Western Kentucky, Kentucky, yeah. absurd. Hilltoppers yeah. offense. Um, Jalen Tolbert is also a friend of the show, so that actually has a factor. I wanted to get some other questions with Seth before we let you go. Maybe another tw- 20 minutes. You got, you're going to Canada anytime soon. you here for a little bit. I'm here, man. All right. 2022. <laughs> here for you. <laughs> 2022 quarterback class. We've talked a lot about it on this podcast about – there isn't an obvious guy. There isn't an obvious three guys. And uh, I think Mel Kuyper recently said, you know, anyone you talk to, and Mike has said this too, anyone you talk to is going to have a different list. Anyone you talk to is going to have a different one, two, three, four, five. Just how bad is this quarterback class? And who do you feel right now, your list, who's, what is your unique list or the top one, two, three guys? I've, I've been falling into Malik Willis recently just because if no one else st- – stands up and says, hey, I'm a good quarterback, then let me take the guy who is 
who is a good athlete, who is yeah. the best athlete of this bunch. So I think Malik Willis, I could see myself talking myself into Malik Willis. I'm not, I don't know if I'm there yet, however. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's I got I, one of the few things I've ever been right about is Kenny Pickett going into the season. Because you, when you watch this tape, and I keep seeing the same thing. I watch his tape at Pitt, and they've changed their offense a little bit. But you watch his tape, and you're like, okay, well, he's not. I'm not saying he's like super accurate, but he kind of knew where he was going with the football. But you have all these like NFL concepts, shallow cross and routes over the middle, and this stuff, and it's hard. And when you watch, you know, you know, this offseason, you watch a lot of Dylan Gabriel, who unfortunately get, got injured. You watch a lot of Matt Corral. You watch a lot of Malik Willis. You watch all these offenses that they don't ask their quarterback to do that, and therefore their production skyrockets because all you're doing is throwing go balls down the sideline. These super spreader offenses, over split offenses. So when I looked at that, I said, if they just change a little bit for Kenny Pickett at Pitt, and they have done so, I think you could see an offensive explosion, which you're getting. Also, him being in his like twenty fifth year playing yeah. playing quarterback there, like like a Joe, I don't you know want to say this, but like a Joe Burrow explosion in you know as like a thirty five year old playing college football. But so I, I think that is something that I always want to look at. It's something I was going to ask you guys: like, how do we suss out the the quarterback himself from these offenses? Sometimes it's, it's it's extremely difficult. Joe Burrow was like the easiest one because they were running all these concepts over the middle, asking him to make tight throws, asking <laughs> yeah. him to make tough reads, and he was performing at uh, an elite, elite, elite level. I just don't know. I don't know yeah. how you're supposed to suss out Malik Willis and Corral and I, all these guys. I would argue that is one of the hardest things about you know the quarterback. I mean, look the, look at Justin Herbert. That was a very difficult. You know, how do you when you take him out of that offense? How much different does it get when, when he starts throwing the football down the field more and all that stuff? I do think that some of the metrics that we factor in here at PFF that I do think have like high predictive power are clean pocket accuracy, downfield accuracy, really focusing in on that accuracy component in addition to the film slash eye test of throw power and athleticism. That's what you have to that's what you have to project moving forward, especially in today's NFL where the guys who are accurate have the arm talent, have the mobility, the athleticism are the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, so this is my new thing about my new take about Oh yes, evaluating quarterbacks. This podcast for you is only new takes. I'm excited. <laughs> so about uh, you know how do we look at quarterbacks and what do we want from a quarterback? I think more importantly, what do we want from a quarterback? Because now you're getting quarterbacks who this isn't 2001, this isn't 1985 anymore, where quarterbacks play right now. And if you're going to play right now, you better have an elite trait that you can fall back on while you figure out what's going on in front of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah. Looking at an NFL defense, so you have all these guys who Josh Allen elite trait that he could fall back on while he figured out what the hell was going on in front of him. Justin Herbert, elite trait that he could fall back on. Joe Burrow's accuracy is an elite trait. He could, he didn't, you know, he's not been the scrambler that he was in 2019. However, he can fall back on being an elite, um, accurate player. Tua is the example of kind of the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. what is the elite trait? It was supposed to be processing, but I don't know if you can bank on, that's not a physical trait. Yeah. I don't, so I don't Processing know changes bank. the most at the next level. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like that is so that's why I'm like, oh, well, maybe just pick Malik Willis and see what happens. See if you he'll he'll get blitzed. He he won't see a blitz. He'll get he'll get you know trapped because the corner did something that he didn't think was going to happen. He holds on to the football, but then he still runs for 20 yards. And it's like that's probably what you need going forward. I, I think about in this quarterback class, I would love to draft a quarterback. I would not love to draft one in the top 10. I I, I think. There are four guys, and there's not four guys every year. Like There are four guys that have legitimate high-end physical tools, maybe even five. 
that for the quarterback position. The, like if you're the guys who are we're talking about this kind of mid tier of like are they first rounders? Are they not? They're not. They don't look like Will Greer. They're not. They don't look like Mason Rudolph. These guys have legit arm strength. Whether it's Sam Howell, Carson Strong, Malik Willis, all those guys have cannons. Matt Corral even like those guys can sling it. They are athletes. I think it's Howell, Corral, and Willis are one, two, three in the country in terms of rushing yards, the quarterback position right now. Like there are guys that have the entire package that's kind of winning at the NFL right now. It just hasn't been consistent and hasn't been. And the offenses they're in are so collegey mm-hmm. that it's like, I don't want to pass up on Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't want to pass up on Derek Stingley for these guys right now when you know they're going to be a level of play at the NFL level that is impactful, whereas those guys might take two or three years for them to even hit the ground as average. I only have one other college football question actually on my list, and it was actually LSU, who this next coach should be. We've had some conversation about Mel Tucker, Luke Fickle. Where's your head at in terms of who should I, uh, For those who don't know, Seth, big LSU guy, who should be the next coach? So I don't think it's going to be, but I would love Dave Aranda to come back and bring in. It's funny because no, he's, his offensive coordinator at Baylor is Jeff Grimes, who was the offensive coordinator at LSU. I think I want to say like 2014, 2015, something like that. Bring him back because what, he's, what Jeff Grimes has done at BYU, putting them on the map two years ago with Zach Wilson and that offensive line, and then this year with Baylor, they've transformed the team. So I, I would love to see him and Aranda come to LSU. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to s- splurge on maybe it's a Jimbo, which I don't know. I, would, I like Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. I'm not sure if I would love to watch Jimbo's offense week in and week out. I'm not sure I'm ready for that in my <laughs> life. But I, but I, but I, but he's done a good job at Texas A&M. They've rebuilt, kind of quote unquote, rebuilt the program or, or taken it to the next level that than what Ke- Kevin Sumlin has. I would love a Luke Fickle, defensive minded coach. There's a lot of guys that I would really like. I would, I would kind of maybe even take a James Franklin. I, I loved what he did at Vanderbilt, and I think we don't give him enough praise for kind of rebuilding Penn State a bit. I mean, Bill O'Brien kind of started that a bit, but. But James Franklin has done a great job at, at Penn State. So, you know, Aranda to me is number one. And then there's probably some other offensive coordinators that I can't think of. I mean, Lane. Lane would be great, honestly. No, no mention there. So when we were at LSU, we talked about this a lot because everyone there hates um, Orgeron. I mean, they, no one wanted him there at all. When we were at the LSU Florida game where after that game it was announced they would no longer be moving forward with him. Mel Tucker was you didn't bring him up, and then Billy Napier yeah. of ULL. They were there were some conversations around Napier too. I, I like Napier. It comes from the Saban tree, so you loved that idea of an or, or from an organizational perspective. I think, and it, clearly he can coach defense, and clearly he's done a great job at at as a Raging Cajun head coach. And then Mel Tucker. I mean, this is a Michigan State program that wasn't good a couple of years ago, and you saw it last year in his first year. Like it was tough, and he's already turned that around. And like I don't, I don't think they're going to go and beat Ohio State, but uh, undefeated right now, ranked top five in the country. So. I will say this: of all the coaches I've talked to on this podcast, and I think it's thirty now, Mel Tucker leveraged and talked about the transfer portal in the best way, in my opinion. He actually views the transfer portal as an obvious way to improve your football team. Well, there's a lot of others. I think I was talking to Mac Brown. Mac Brown at UNC was saying we want to grow in talent we want to recruit and all that stuff and i think there are some coaches that are stuck in that way a little bit and like we want like kind of in the nfl we want to draft our talent stuff Mm -hmm. mel tucker i thought was the most impressive by any way and like we got holes we're gonna get it in the transfer portal he had like six defensive backs he had a ton of receivers running backs all that stuff i mean he had kendall walker (laughs) lsu might need that and and i think lsu doesn't have any talent right now 
Did, well, when I when this full transfer station. portal stuff started, I said the teams that this helps the most are the teams that are in this tier two or tier three in big conferences. Like LSU is not Alabama. It's not Georgia. And then you have, um, you know, in the Big Ten, it's, if you're not Ohio State or Michigan, you're going to need some help. And Michigan State did that, adding Kenneth Walker and others too. So I, I, I want a coach that's thinking like that, especially if you're bringing him to LSU where they need to get creative on how they beat Alabama or not necessarily out-recruit Alabama, but add comparable talent to the juggernaut that is. All right, NFL questions here. I had another one. Who is your front runner for 2021 NFL season league MVP? Oh, Matt Stafford. Not even close. Yeah. Uh, Matt but Stafford or Demario that. Davis. That's the Demario. <laughs> so I said Matt Stafford on, I think, the Monday episode. You're leaning Kyler Murray or... Murray, yeah, but... Uh, I'm, I'm curious, Kyler Murray going forward. It's been too interesting. I want to say bad games, but it's been two interesting games. Mm-hmm. They probably should have beat the Packers on the last play of the game. Yeah, though obviously, yeah, I mean, uh, AJ Green turns around and catches that. We're thinking we're not even like, yeah, no one really argues with that statement too much. So. Right. I, I'm. I'm. My thing with Kyler Murray and that, that whole Cardinals offense is like it goes as he goes. So there's not going to be any. There's not a lot of like quote unquote schemed up production there mm-hmm. in that offense. So if he's not having a good game, it's really bad. So, like, you know, in a Stafford situation where Stafford can have an okay game and still go for 300 and three touchdowns and no interceptions because he's got McVay, you know, holding him up at certain times. It's not not McVay holding Goff up for the whole game, Mm -hmm. but is there certain aspects where McVay can say, hey, hold on. I remember in the Seahawks game, it was going okay early in the game. They said, okay, let's go under center. Let's run the football. Let's play action. Like, we don't have to be this new Rams offense. But when they are the new Rams offense, spread them out, let Stafford cook. I don't know if there's a better player in the league right now. I think that's what's interesting about that conversation is that no one brought up Josh Allen, who right now is the betting favorite, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, at plus 250 to win the MVP. Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford tied at second at plus 600. What's been your opinion of Josh Allen this year? Well, I think this is interesting because it it ties into what I'm saying about Kyler Murray, where Josh Allen has, has not been perfect this year. You know, we saw in the Steelers game, it was okay. We've seen, you know, they scored like 35 points against Miami week two, and it was okay we saw it last week against Miami at home now and it was okay even though they get the W and I think what what's changed is now Brian Dable can can prop him up when he needs to Josh Allen is a generational type of player I think however you can't as we're seeing with Mahomes as well it's like sometimes you need that offensive scheme to help you out a little bit when you're used to being this super spread 10 personnel 11 personnel team where you're relying on the quarterback to to be everything for you just as Mahomes has been for the Chiefs you're seeing that with Buffalo it worked unbelievably well in 2020 now they've taken a step back and said okay look we're going to run you a little bit more when we have to now you saw it in the Chiefs game this year you saw it in the Miami game just last week so I think there's some things you can do now and that and honestly like everyone was saying oh Dable 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 he's got to be a head coach what he's doing this year has even pushed it even further because he's he's allowing Josh Allen to and I've said this before not have to be Superman on every play not have to oh throw this unbelievable route where he's th- rolling to his you know left rolling to his right and he's got to throw across his body and he makes all these plays like Mahomes he's saying hey we can run the football more it's going to be interesting to know Dawson Knox going forward that's going to change they're going to have to be they're they've 
against Miami, they went back to being a spread team. Tommy Sweeney was in the game, but really it's, they were a spread team. So I'm interested to see with that. But I think Dable's done a great job, and it's allowing Josh Allen to not have to be Superman on every single play. We've got a hard out at 2.30, and I had a couple more questions for you if we could get through these quickly. We were talking a little bit last night. We went to Eric Eager's house, watched the Chiefs game, and there's a lot of conversation about like, what the hell is going on with this Chiefs offense. What is going on? Why is it not looking like what we've seen in the past? Is it, you know, some people talk about turnover-worthy play regression, and then you look at just the explosive play rate this year compared to previous years. What is going on? What's, what, what, what do you think the biggest issue is? So they, they can't run the ball to get teams out of these two high shells that we've been talking about ad nauseum for the past few weeks. So that's the first thing. Hey, look, if they're running the ball for seven yards a pop, different story or at least five yards a pop very different story the teams are going to say oh maybe we should spin to one high maybe we should get a second safety in the box and 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 live in that world and then and then he kills you over the top yeah they're not doing that because the offensive line has just not been very good especially the tackles have just not been very good so i think that's the issue and then i think mahomes is living in a world where he feels like he can still big game hunt even though these these post routes, these over routes that we that we remember from Tyreek Hill are, are not there this year with the two high shell, with the two high shell, he's not getting one on one on the backside with Travis Kelsey because they're they can they can in its in an essence double team him playing cover four or cover two. So, and but he's still not. You want to see him? I think you just want to see him be a little more. Eric was talking about this yesterday. One, two, three, balls out. One, two, three, balls out. Let's get them out of what they want to do. But it's Mahomes. Like, it's Mahomes. He's going he's gonna to scramble around. He's going to, you know, wait on some throws. And, and they're not there this year because I think the shells they're getting and they're not able to get teams out of those shells. Last one for you. Zach Taylor ruining Joe Burrow? <laughs> is he? I, I don't love the offense there. And I think so much of it is just... It's like they have changed a bit. They're going under center a lot more, running that outside zone scheme that that we thought he was going to bring with him from being, you know, in the same mm-hmm. urinal one time with with um, Sean McVay. I hate that joke. Can I say this? I hate those jokes. Those jokes were funny three That's years ago. <laughs> those jokes were funny three years ago. Oh, he had a cup of coffee with McVay. He's going to be a head coach. Yeah, no yeah, one that... has said. No one has said he's peed in the same. The urinal is the only adaptation <laughs> I liked of it. I think I, I don't want to hear them again though. Oh, probably had a cup of coffee with me. Guy, die. Just, I'm done. Oh I'm done. Oh go ahead. Go continue, though. All right. That's all we have for you guys today. <laughs> uh, no, so I think, I think they've done a little bit differently going into center, outside zone. But at the end of the day, what is this offense other than Joe Burrow throwing slants or go routes to Jamar Chase? So nothing's really changed in what they've kind of done from last year where they weren't very good. They've been better the last few weeks. Obviously, they probably shouldn't have lost the Jets, even though they scored a bunch of points. They've been a little better on offense. I'm I'm concerned. I'm concerned. That's that's really where it is. I'm concerned. Seth, always a pleasure getting you on the show. It's always a pleasure when we get you here in Cincinnati, man. Make sure you follow Seth on Twitter, PFF underscore Seth. And then also, the Two High podcast with Deontay Lee here at PFF is absolutely phenomenal. Mina Kimes calls out a bunch of people, a bunch of like legit football people listen to it and if you don't you're not a legit football person i'll call you out right now yeah i will call you out right now you're not a legit football person unless you're listening to too high do you have a better sales pitch than that no i don't and <laughs> I, I, that's it though i'm gonna go that tell more rams, I've, just I've tell more sean mcveigh rams coaching i'm just jokes. but i'm just trying to find like all the good ones like i could do the urinal one maybe he was in like a like a phone uber, shared, with an him, uber. shared an uber with him yeah i think that that's I like that shout out uber proud when i get to the tailgate pod yeah when i start doing stand-up again i think that those are going to be my Again? I need the clips. We're not talking about it. In all seriousness, though, if you enjoy talk about schematics, anything X's and O's about how the game of football is actually being played and coaching decisions, that sort of thing, 
that is the best podcast for that on the market. Like no other, there, there aren't truly many others that even delve into that, mm-hmm. but they are by far the best. And, and in the podcast space and football podcasts, where it's so saturated with a lot of the same content, even sometimes guilty of that on this podcast, talking about mock drafts and things like that, it is such a breath of fresh air and very good air at that air that Sean McVay has once shared. But this was a fantastic mm-hmm. interview as well. We're going to go ahead and jump now to interviews with Louisiana offensive tackle Max Mitchell. And we also had UConn defensive tackle Travis Jones. Let's get to those. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Louisiana offensive tackle, Max Mitchell. Not just Louisiana, highest graded offensive tackle in the FBS, according to PFF. You are one of the better stories in college football right now. It's great to have you on the show. Yes, sir. Appreciate you being, having me. We were, we were talking a little bit out there. You're from Monroe, Louisiana, developed at Neville High School. Only had a handful of offers coming out, some D2 offers. Some of these schools listed, man, Millsaps College. Wachita Baptist University, and then kind of out of the blue, Louisiana comes in to recruit you. You take that offer. Walk me through a little bit of that, how that recruiting process went, and how much, obviously, you know, Louisiana helped, help, you know, why you ultimately picked Louisiana and went down that road. Yeah, uh, kind of like you said, there, there weren't many uh, significant offers out of high school that I, I, was, I was really considering. Um, but, you know, Coach Napier and Coach Sale at the time uh, gave, me a shot, gave me a shot to come down here. And uh, um, definitely took it. I mean, the facilities were great. Everything looked great. Um, like the connection with the coaches I was getting. So uh, it, it was an easy it was an easy choice for me to get down here. <laughs> but enjoyed it tons so far. And in high school, did you play offensive line and defensive line? Did you play both sides of the ball? Or what positions all did you play? Um, started out high school playing like guard and center. And uh, ended up just move, making a move to tackle. And, and played both tackles. Uh, you know, sparingly throughout a couple of years I was, I was there, but but ended up at right tackle. So that was that was mainly my position. And when you got to Louisiana, you know, where, where were you weighing in at? Six foot six, 270 is kind of what I see listed. And now where are you up to? What weight are you up to now? Yeah, so I got there. Um, I was like in the low 80s, mid 80s, maybe 280s. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just through, you know, nutrition and, and, and exercise uh, workouts and stuff like that. Gotten up to like 300 and hovering right around that, under that. And uh, and been pretty consistent around that. Gotcha. That's awesome, man. And I think um, so. You had an opportunity to play so early at Louisiana, rotated in in all fourteen games as a true freshman, and then from there started to really you know started in as a sophomore, now junior, and then into your senior year. Speak to just how much you've developed over the course of that playing time, just getting that opportunity to play at Louisiana all the way since your freshman season. Yeah, um, experience has been huge. Um, I, I really appreciate being able to rotate you know, and in all games freshman year, even though I, I didn't have a, really a clue what I was doing really most of the time. But we had a, such an experienced line at the time that it was it was really easy for me to rotate in and, and get calls and then communicate easy with, with you know, whoever was in. So, um, you know, making the start sophomore year was was really easy because I'd have that whole year of, of snaps under my belt. So um, they just kind of eased into being a starter, really. And, and the rest is – you know, easy because you're just going through off-season program and you're developing, you know, maturity and stuff like that. So um, having that experience is awesome. How much has, you know, Billy Napier played a role in your development? We had an opportunity to talk to him on this podcast before the season, and I came away super compelled with the culture he's trying to bring to Louisiana, that winning culture, that toughness. And I think the offensive line specifically has that you know, it, it comes with this now, this toughness pedigree. A lot of people respect what you guys are doing in the trenches. I, I guess 
with Napier, how much has he had an impact on you? And what you can you offer some detail on what you feel like he's building there at Louisiana? Yeah, he's been uh, a, a key role in, in developing. I think everybody here. Um, I mean, it just has a he has a, he's such a culture builder. I mean, he, he's just uh, he's solid. I mean, he just represents you know kind of everything what we want to do. You know, he he uh, he keeps everything in line. I mean. He's uh he he makes me remember kind of like my high school program. It was kind of built on discipline, ethic, you know, work ethic and stuff like that. And I, I feel like I just fit right in. I mean, just going from one program to the next. But he uh he just sets a good standard for us. I mean, he just he uh he's just a great example for us to follow, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I I could feel that even in the 20 minutes I had with him, man. I think he definitely has that compelling nature around him. Now going into this season, you are, like I said at the top here, the highest graded offensive tackle in the country. You've improved your PFF grade every year of your career in the four years you've been at Louisiana. But something that has stood out for me, and again, it speaks to this toughness that comes with the Raging Cajuns, is your 94.1 run blocking grade. You have been an absolute road grader in that department. How much do you feel like you've improved in that area? And what have been some of the bigger areas where you've improved that you feel like have you know, gotten to you that gotten you to this point? Yeah, um, definitely just understanding uh, how, how the game is played um, just in a football sense. I mean, I, I kind of understand the, the uh, concepts were running a little bit more year by year. You know, you kind of understand what you, where you need to bring your body or get your body, how you, where you need to move, you know, just, just kind of the, the angles and the, and the technicality of everything. And obviously, year by year, doing the off-season program, getting a little bit stronger every year, um, and, and being able to do what I want to do, you know, a little a little easier, I guess, year by year. Um, but I just feel like there's there's so much more room for me to improve there. I I, I, uh, I know you said it was like a ninety-something grade, but me personally, I don't think I have a ninety-something grade. I feel like <laughs> I do way better than than what I'm doing now, you know, and just just through uh, just little tweaks here and there and, and, and further development, but. Um, definitely the experience has helped with that as well. Yeah, I think I think the best the best in the country always say that, man. I think that's a, that's a good that's a good mentality to have. So for for those tweaks that you want to make, how much of an emphasis is you know film, or and then how much of an emphasis is weight room? Because I feel like those two components are obviously super important. Then there's footwork, technique, and these things. But where does film you know show up for you? How much do you prioritize that? And I guess speak to some of the you know the the techniques or you know the amount of prioritization, the amount of hours you're putting in. Yeah, no. So um, what we've done this year is we'll break down or we'll, we'll take uh, a D lineman from the team we're playing and we'll have him for our player matchup. So we'll make a whole cut up on this guy and break it down for the offensive line on Friday night, you know, before when we're in the hotel or something. And so I think that's I mean, I've matured enough to where I can do my own film study now, um, you know, as a you know freshman year, I, I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing, but. I've, uh, you know, been able to watch one guy and analyze what he's doing and stuff like that. Um, it's helped a ton. But, but what's really important for me is getting in the weight room and, and gaining a little bit of weight. I think that'll help me tremendously because I understand kind of what needs to be done now. I just need to be able to do it better, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, th- th- those aspects are definitely still uh, need improvement, I guess. And are you still looking to add weight or are you kind of trying to maintain that 300 or are you hoping to add more and get into the 310, 315 range? Yeah. So during the season, um, I usually maintain pretty well, uh, you know, at 300, right under 300. Um, I feel like it's an okay playing weight for now, but 
definitely during the off season this year, um, definitely want to tack on, you know, another 15 pounds and, mm -hmm. uh, and still be able to move like how I want to be able to move. So. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I think uh, on these you know conversations with players, guys that are trying to add weight, so I've had some wild conversations on how these guys do it. Some people waking <laughs> up at three a, you know, I waking up at three a.m. eating a full meal like chicken, rice, and vegetables, going back to sleep, then waking up at eight a.m. and eating breakfast. It's like, oh my gosh, what you have to do to add that weight can sometimes oh, yeah. be crazy. The shakes and stuff like that is is a wild time. Um, for pass protection, you also have been outstanding in pass protection. I think that's where film shows up a ton, too. I remember talking to Jonah Williams for Alabama, first round, and now plays the Cincinnati Bengals. He said he'd chart every single rush. Did they went outside? Did they went inside? Did they went bull rush? What, how much does that play a factor in your, when you're watching a guy, seeing the type of moves list he might have? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's big. It kind of goes back to that matchup I was talking about. Um, we'll we'll uh, comb through all those games they've played. Um, just kind of see what he likes, obviously, what kind of rush, what he likes to do with his hands, um, just just basically where what are his tendencies, you know, kind of what, what you told about Jonah. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's just looking how he moves, you know, and, and how that stacks up to my game or what do I need to tweak this week for, for this guy, you know. That's just – that's basically it. Yeah. Looking ahead to, you know, closing out the season, Louisiana obviously having a phenomenal start to the year, 7-1 and one on the year. What are some of your personal goals? And then we'll speak to team goals to close out the interview. What are some of your personal goals? What's high on your list to accomplish as you close out this season for Louisiana? Obviously, keep my grade up. Um, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to uh, maintain that pretty well. Um, but I just want to I want to play a game where I can feel that I've played a complete game myself. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I've done that yet. There's always a you know, no game's going to be perfect, obviously, but I want to be able to have a game where um, I can look back and be like, well, I did everything that I wanted to do. And, th and there's nothing that makes me look back and kind of, uh, you know, make, make me kind of ick about a couple of drive or, you know, a couple <laughs> plays here and there. I, I just want one of those. But I don't know if they'll be able to get that. You know, nobody's perfect, but that's what I'm going for. Gotcha. Love that, man. I think that that's awesome. And so for, for the team, what's everyone got on their board? And what is Napier? What is the team looking to accomplish as they close out these last four games here? Yeah, we want to um, obviously run the table. We, uh, we want to close out and try to keep this, uh, you know, this is an East division opponent. We're playing this uh, Thursday, Georgia state, mm -hmm. but um, we want to hold home field advantage for our championship game. Um, we want to finish in the top 25, um, and we want to win this championship finally. You know, it's been uh, four years since I've, I've gotten – or three and a half years since I've gotten in here, and we've played for the championship every year and come up short except for last year, which was uh, canceled because of COVID. But um, that is – that's probably our biggest uh, goal that we need to check off is, is trying to get this championship. Well, I'll be rooting for you the entire way, man. This has been a fantastic interview, and I really wish you the best of luck the rest of this year and into the offseason. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current UConn defensive tackle, Travis Jones. Travis, we've been meaning to get you on this show for a while now. You have been one of the favorites here at PFF, a guy that we've followed for a handful of years now. It's really great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Where I'd like to start is honestly going back and looking a little bit about your, you know, um, your history in getting to UConn. You were a well-decorated UConn high school football player. I think you played both yeah. sides of the ball, offensive and defensive line. What was that like? Do you miss playing offense? I know you were a guard, I think, in high school. Do you miss playing offense? Yeah. I think you were recruited a little bit by some to be an offensive lineman. Talk more about your high school career there in UConn – or in Connecticut, sorry. Oh, yeah. In high school, 
I did play both sides of the ball, and all, all the offers I had was was to play O line actually. Oh wow! And when I came up to UConn, they switched me over to the defense. Gotcha. And so you were originally committed to Rutgers, correct? And then yep. decommitted to go to UConn. Uh, what 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 all went into that decision? Uh, yeah, I went up there for an unofficial visit. Me and my and I committed on the spot up there. And on the drive mm-hmm. back, me and my mom said son, son didn't feel right. So the next day we decommitted and weighed out our options. And that's when I picked the uh, UConn. Gotcha. And are you was a big part of UConn being staying in state. Are you are you big with your you're really close to your family? I guess yeah. we all went to like wanting to be at UConn, staying in state. Yeah, that, that was a that was the main part why I stayed at UConn. So my mom, grandparents, and sisters sisters could come up to the home games, things like that. And so you know you recruited to play offensive line. You get flipped to defense. Did you want to play offensive line, or was there a part of you that always wanted to get on the defensive side of the ball? For me, it really didn't matter. For me, I I would have played both sides. Whatever they wanted me to do, I would have did it. So. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, um, this season has been spectacular. You read some of the articles that are coming out. Um, they talk about you as a all-star bowl candidate, whether it's the East-West Shrine Bowl, Hula Senior Bowl. Have you had any early conversations there? Is that a goal of yours, a personal goal of yours? Where is that on your radar? Um, Right now, I, I, I've been invited to the East-West Bowl and – Right now, I'm just trying. Um, we just right now, just getting ready for Clemson, and I worry about that stuff when I get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think that's that's very yeah. too far ahead. Let's focus more on this season. You've been phenomenal, have graded really well for UConn, and really, in my opinion, have improved every single year there. Speak to the development that you've had, and maybe what has been the biggest, you know, growth point or biggest improvement in your game from last year to this year. Personally, for me, I said I understand the game better schemes and what teams trying to do to me to defeat me and how to beat them mm-hmm. you know some things i think i got better at was uh my pass rush that's something i really needed to work on and i think i got a little better at that this year still need improvement though what what specifically do you think helped you improve that pass rush was it more film study were you able to maybe you know work more pass rush moves into your arsenal where exactly do you think you improved i say picking up pick, picking up tendencies from, by watching film mm-hmm. day in and day out seeing what the old, old linemen like to do things like that so when you do turn on the film, you're looking at tendencies and those things. What are some of the first things you look for on film when you're going against, you know, an, another offensive line? First thing I look for, uh, stance first off, off, the, off the jump, look at the stance, uh, hand placement, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, and how about your approach in the, in the weight room? Has that been – what have your goals been there? Have it been, you know, important for you to add weight? Have you been trying to drop weight? What have been, like, your current weight and, and weight room goals? Oh, my current rate right now, I'm 333. We weighed in yesterday, I believe. Yeah, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And every time I go in the weight room, it's going in and put in work. I try, for my cars, I try to do 10, 10 to 20 pounds extra just to push myself. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That, that's awesome, man. And so uh, we can close out here. I only had a couple more questions for you. What are some of your personal goals to close out this season? And then we can focus on team goals as well. But what are you hoping to personally accomplish as you close out the year? Some of my personal goals right now, um, just go out there and have fun with my guys and, and try to dominate every snap, really. That's all I could do, control the things I could control. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Having fun is is sometimes a forgotten part in football, man, especially with yeah, know. You know, potentially being your last day at UConn. I think getting getting as much fun as you can, I think, is super important. Last one for you. What are a, you know, what are team goals that you have? What are you, you know, what are you and the guys there at UConn hoping to accomplish to, to finish the year? Yeah, we've been um, talking about this. For the, our last three games, we just want to go out there and compete. Not, don't look at the score, but just go out there and compete, have fun with each other. Yeah, 
I think that's it. Fun is the name of the game. Travis, this was phenomenal. I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast and wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. Have a good one. Man, jam-packed show today, Mike. That was phenomenal. Big shout-out to Seth, Max Mitchell, Travis Jones. Going to be a packed show. And then tomorrow, I got UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer. Mm. He kind of changed my life in that interview. He's a multimillionaire now. He 28 was... million, 10-year 10 10 deal. They really... Or trying to get that buyout, hoping when he, or whenever he does move to another school. Dude, he is sick, man. He That interview blew me away a little bit. He's a really, really cool guy. Definitely listen to that one on Thursday. But we will see you next time. Austin Gill, Mike Renner, producers David Zafaro, Stone Rochelle, Mike Quinn, and Max Chadwick. Tailgate.